just like Tony, I had a period of time away from the church myself. My parents being divorced, we were really ostracized from the church yeah. because of this divorce. By the time I was 13, I'd had enough of the church. Mm. Didn't, you know, they didn't want me, I didn't want them. So it was 25 years before I really reconnected with the church after my mm. conversion. I remember around that time, I thought, I need to return to the church. And I thought, I've got to talk to Annette. And I thought, she's going to tell me, you bloody idiot. Mm. You left the church 10 years ago. You got to that system. Mm. Why are you going back down that track? So I steeled myself for this conversation. <laughs> I said to Annette one day, I think I need to return to the church. Yeah. And instead of telling me I was an idiot, she said, yeah, so do I. Hello and welcome to the Soul Food Podcast, bringing you stories that nourish the soul. It's Alison and Donnie here from the Mission Enhancement Team, and we hope this podcast will encourage you in your life and faith, wherever you are right now. Here comes another soul food story. Welcome to another episode of the Soul Food Podcast. On today's episode, we have a first. We have a married couple, uh, Tony and Annette Hoban. Tony is also a deacon in the Diocese of Parramatta, who's supported by his wife, Annette. Uh, were part of a startup advisory group that had established a community of faith at Marsden Park. Now, Marsden Park, which is technically referred to as a parochial district, is a faith community that aspires to develop as intentional disciples of Jesus Christ, working in collaboration with St. Luke's College. Welcome to both of you on the Soul Food Podcast. Thanks, Donnie. Thank you, Donnie. Great to have you here in the space. And um, as part of the Soul Food Podcast, we like to ask a icebreaker question to all our guests. And so this question is, uh, directed to each of you uh, to share a food story that describes a little bit about you. Okay, um, I'm from a, a white Catholic Anglo family, grew up in Northern Rivers, New South Wales, mm. in a small country town, very white Catholic Anglo town. Uh, I guess our diet, or what I remember of our diet, was very much that of uh, meat and three veg. Yeah. So that would probably probably usually be potato, carrots and peas yep. uh, with a piece of meat with it. Um, my parents were divorced and so we moved to Sydney when my mother remarried mm. and to come to Sydney and to experience a whole new food world yeah. out there. I remember uh, the very first time we went to a Chinese restaurant and I remember the first meal I had and it was sweet and sour fried short soup. Oh, stop it. So, <laughs> you know, you, you <laughs> can compare the, the very bland, monotonous yep. meat and three veg with a sweet and sour fried short soup with the colours and yeah. the flavours and yep, the textures. Yep. It was like heaven and my eyes had been opened up to this new world wow. of food. Well, wow. <laughs> I love that. I love how, you know, you know what you know and, and what you don't know as well can be, you know, just a surprise to you because, in fact, my family looks for those those dishes that you're talking about. We right. look for the, you know, the piece of steak and the three veg right. and the pot. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. okay. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, we didn't have that growing up. So it's interesting yeah. that you've, yeah. you've seen that transition in yourself as well. Yeah. And it really kind of corresponds actually with my faith life a little mm. bit too. Uh, as a young person, my faith life was actually very bland and uh, I would consider that I had a bit of a conversion into my mm. faith life in my 30s and that, and again, my eyes were, were opened yeah. and uh, my faith life kind of exploded after that that's, conversion and with new senses awakened. Yeah, we must uh, come back to that. But, but first, Tony, <laughs> mm. your food story, What what's one that describes a bit of you? Well, similar to Annette, I came from a very, you know, traditional Anglo family and uh, meat and three veg is very much on our <laughs> diet most weeks. And um, I, I was living down on the south coast when I started work and uh, I remember this restaurant opened in a town near us, Naruma called Mexican Munchies. Mm. And I tried this Mexican food. A guy I worked with encouraged me. And I thought, 
wow, I love this. <laughs> and then I remember sometime after that taking my parents to the same restaurant and they were very conservative in their tastes and they yeah. kind of screwed up their faces. And then <laughs> when uh, I moved to Sydney, we, we Annette and I took them to a Lebanese restaurant, which we were really fond of. And again, looking at their bemused faces, mm. this kind of food was quite different to what they kind of traditionally got used to. And then uh, I guess um, Annette and I both love Thai food. Yep. And... Um, We've eaten Thai food in New York and Paris and probably other parts of the world we've travelled. But I came across in not far from where we were, pretty close to Notre Dame Cathedral, uh, this Thai restaurant that served this oriental kind of dish with these prawns. And the prawns, mm. I swear, were like half the size of lobsters. I've oh. never seen prawns that big. And I, I said, we have to go back again. So three nights later, we went back. And then the last night before, we, I wanted to go back again. She said we'd had enough at that stage. So she, yep. we didn't get there a third time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This Thai dish with these massive prawns is just incredible. So uh, Good enough for two, but... Well, yeah, yeah. She doesn't, except she doesn't like prawns. So it was all more, more for me. So that was all right. <laughs> no, that's great. So, and I guess that for me, so, you know, I'm a little bit more adventurous than my parents were in food taste. Mm. And they were very traditional Catholics. Mm. Uh, and I, again, had, like Annette, had my own ups and downs of faith life and some time away from church but i do sense uh having been down the new age path for a bit mm. that the the trueness and the consistency of the catholic church is is solid and i can rely on yeah and i know there's different you know uh, um, streams of thought within that church and that catholic means all embracing so mm. there's a wide diversity of views but i guess my own uh, food palette and my own um, uh, religious and spiritual palette have been, had uh Tested, but I, I guess I've come back to a kind of a central core. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love how through both your stories, even through food, you're recognizing the journey of your faith life. Mm. Mm. And so I'm wondering, um, you know, without having to feel like you got to do your own autobiographies, um, I described in your introduction that you, you both have really been pioneers of this community here at Marsden Park. And I was just wondering, uh, is there something in uh, your story, maybe one or two key stories, um, that's really shaped you as individuals to really have this heart for serving community and building community. Um, any, mm. any stories mm. that come to mind for yourselves? One, one, I guess, for us was there was a period when we were away from the church and to, and we had our son baptised earlier and then we had twin girls came along mm. when we were not in the church. And to kind of keep my parents happy, we, we decided to have them baptised. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we went to this church at Chatswood and um, I just remember that, you know, they didn't, provide all sorts of barriers for us because we wanted to get our church done so to speak yeah and we weren't part of the church and that made it so much easier when we came back to the church um that our children had all, all been baptized and then we could take them through the other second one of programs and yeah. for me that sense of openness and welcome mm. when people come to us and we can all get hung up about people we only see at christmas and easter mm. but the fact is they're stepping into our our, our company for those times and so and same deacons do you know baptisms weddings funerals times when mm -hmm. people come to be part of our community who wouldn't normally be part of our community and my own experience with the baptism of our daughters said said to me that we should always be welcome and open arms mm. for those people so that that was a lesson for me yeah that's a real powerful experience mm. as well that that you know um your background wasn't really questioned in any of that you were just you know mm. received in a space yeah yeah and i've talked to other people who's Faith is probably only alive now in the church because of that experience when they were maybe having doubts or mm. away from the church. So I think that's really important. Yeah, can't really underestimate welcome, hey? 
Yeah, radical welcome. How about yourself, Annette? Just like Tony, I had a period of time away from the church myself, Mm. a a much longer uh, period of time. My parents were divorced and, as I said, I lived in a small country town. So my parents being divorced, we were really, I felt even as a a 10-year-old that um, we were really ostracized from the church because of this divorce. Um, And so we moved to Sydney when my mother remarried and by the time I was 13, I'd had enough of the church mm. didn't you know they didn't want me I didn't want them yeah, that kind yeah. of you know teenage attitude I guess mm-hmm. um so it was probably 25 years uh, before I stepped uh, before I really reconnected with the church after my mm-hmm. conversion and once after I'd done that in terms of you know service I, I I was really my faith life really came alive and I really wanted to serve some way in the church mm. And I was looking for something that I could do to serve. Mm -hmm. And I was waiting for God to, you know, tell me what to do. (laughs) And uh, I was waiting and waiting. And, you know, I've I've been approached about a few different things. And I was like, no, no, I don't want to do that. don't want to do that. And um, so I thought, all right, Tony was very involved with St. Vincent de Paul at that stage. And Mm. I thought, okay, I'll just... I'll just join the St. Vincent de Paul with him just while I'm waiting for God to tell me <laughs> what it is that he wants me to do. Yeah. So I joined the St. Vincent de Paul and did the home visits and meetings and all that. And um, about a year a year later and I still hadn't had any other, you know, epiphany about mm. what, I, what God wanted me to do. And, one, and I, I really had no passion at that time about the St. Vincent de Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, but one morning on my way to work, I remember I was listening to um, a, one of the talkback radio shows and someone had rung in and had started complaining about, you know, these welfare bludgers mm. who who just, you know, drain our government. And, and, the, and the idea of it was this person was saying, why don't they get off their backsides and go mm. and get a job like mm. the rest of us? Mm. And I remember feeling so angry. Mm. This anger rose up in me because I'd spent the last year visiting these people who have all sorts of different life situations and nothing that is their own fault Mm. and they just need help. And and then that's suddenly when, you know, I heard God say, Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> I've got you right where I want that's you. Right, that's right. <laughs> you know, I knew my passion then and actually became uh, president of our local yeah, conference okay. for about four years. Okay. And so I was really, really involved then. And that was my way to serve at that time. Yeah. And, and as powerful as Tony's story, there was something of, you know, your deep encounter with the human person that yes. enabled you to, yeah. you know, to have that experience. Now, in as much as you're, you're comfortable in sharing, just that... Um, that uh, conversion moment that you mentioned, was it um, a particular setting or a place or a person that well, encouraged you in that? Well, yeah. um, what what it was actually was um, <clears throat> we wanted our twin girls to go to a Catholic high mm. school. So they were in about year four and we realised they'd only been baptised. They hadn't made any of the other sacraments. Mm. So uh, we contacted the local parish, which happened to be Christ the King at North Rocks. Oh, okay. And uh, Father Burton, who was uh, there at the time as the parish priest. And uh, we got we were put in touch with the catechist at that time, mm. beautiful, beautiful lady. And she came to our house to start preparing us for the sacrament of reconciliation and Eucharist and confirmation for the kids because they were already old enough. And it was just something in in who she was, something Mm. about her 
And um, Tony has a bit more to the story to add, but... Um. <clears throat> well, yeah, my, and, and this is how God obviously was working this whole thing because um, I'd come to a stage, having gone a new age path 10 years before and realised mm. that it was kind of empty. Like, mm. there's a new new age theory every week and they say <laughs> trying to, you know, pin anything from new age to a wall is like trying to pin jelly to a wall. It just <laughs> doesn't stay. Yeah, so it was all kind of, you know, everyone's God, we're all God, you're God, I'm yep. God. And I thought, well, if I'm God, God sort of falls below the standards I expect mm. God to be because I know all my failures. So um, yeah. I was going through this period of sort of emptiness and I discerned it was a spiritual emptiness because I thought, I've got a great wife, great kids, yeah. I live in a nice home, I'm earning good dollars, all these kind of tick the boxes. Yeah. But something's missing, something's empty. And I discerned it was a spiritual emptiness. And I just thought, okay, I, I believe there's a higher power. Mm. Can you guide me? And that happened at the same time as this catechist came into life. So the two came together. And I, I remember around that time, I thought, I need to return to the church. Mm. And I thought, I've got to talk to Annette. And I thought, She's going to tell me, you bloody idiot. Mm. You left the church 10 years ago. You got to the other system. Mm. Why are you going back down that mm. track? So I steeled myself for this conversation. <laughs> I said to Annette one day, let's, I just need to have a talk. So we sat down at the table and I said, um, I think we need to return to, I think I need to return to the church. Yeah. And instead of telling me I was an idiot, she said, yeah, so do I. Wow. Wow. And so, you know, our, you know, we've, the spirit was clearly moving yeah. in that time. And yeah. so when the kids made their first reconciliation uh, and it made her first reconciliation in... 25 years. 20, yeah. And I made my first in 10 years. And I still remember, oh. and again, this is a lesson pastoral mm. experience, Father Burton. Um, he can't share what happens in confessional, but I can because <laughs> as a penitent. But I, when I, I mean, again, when I said to him, I've been away from the church for mm. 10 years and I've decided to come back. And I, I thought he's give me a bit of a lecture about why I left the church and, you know, what, why were you so silly there? But instead, when I said, I've decided to come back to the church, she just said, mm. thank God for that. Mm. And it was like, just a beautiful pastoral yeah. uh, confirmation and support. And we had a good chat with him afterwards and, yeah. you know, he, and formed a very deep relationship with him and worked with him closely, mm. ultimately, later on. But, um, yeah, the, the, those pastoral experiences that children not being refused mm. you know baptism and or no hurdles to us baptizing them and that experience with father burton when i came back um were just two affirming things that i've tried to bring into my own yeah. ministry yeah and there's that thread across both of your stories here that you you both made the ask of god you're like mm. you know god mm. show me and, and in your own yeah, particular yeah, yeah, ways yeah, you know that, yeah. that sort of entered into your story as well in a very obvious way in how you've described it. So. Yeah, and, and like when, when I was being formed to be a deacon, Father Chris D'Souza was out in charge yeah. of formation and he always said, uh, when you're preparing a homily, you should pray, uh, Lord, what do you want me to say to your people this week? Because mm. uh, that's a sense of God guiding you and it, mm -hmm. it gets the ego out of it. It's not my wisdom, it's mm. God's wisdom that he gives to me. Mm -hmm. And I found that prayer to be incredibly valuable uh, prayer to using them various ways so mm -hmm. if i got a decision to make it's lord i don't know what to do mm. can you guide me or lord uh what do you want me to do for you today mm -hmm. just as a general prayer so that prayer i found to be a really useful prayer to yeah. guide me in all sorts of situations yeah and i've just been doing some some reading in ignatian spirituality and just that important step of uh us making the ask mm. uh, you know when we ask the question yeah we're, mm. we're really just saying i'm open I'm mm -hmm. open to hearing and, and being guided by you. So mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. That's so enriching in your story. It's coming through. And, and I guess, flying on from that, you know, given that we'd had that time away and, and reawakening, mm. um, 
when we discovered something like the Alpha program, mm-hmm. that to us really inspired us to both get involved, and we've done you know half a dozen programs at least each. Yeah. But we find that um, so many people kind of are in rote mode. Yeah. You know, go to church because you know I did it from when I was a child and had to do mm. it. And that compulsion and Alpha kind of awakens something in them. That's um, that's a more deeper relationship with Christ and His church. Mm-hmm. And we found say at North Rocks, you know. People went through the program, were hungry for more. Mm. So we did a Bible study after that, and then they wanted to do more, so they might get involved in volunteering for outreach char- outreach ministries or they ended up on the parish pastoral council, mm. but it just ignited something in them. And we found a similar thing here. We haven't been able to run as many as we'd like with, yep. um, with COVID and the impacts of that, but um, it's just ignited something in people. And some people might have been teetering on the edge of their involvement in the church have seemed to go deeper in, yeah. in their face life. So, um, yeah, our own... F- personal journeys have informed so much of what we've done in our own ministry. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And I wonder if we could focus a bit more on your vocation of marriage. And um, just for the, the people listening who are either discerning or who are married themselves, um, uh, what's some of the um, uh, the milestones in your discernment of uh, the vocation of marriage that were significant for you to say, oh, yes, I, I think I am open to marriage as being part of my vocational call and response? Uh, I'll I'll just uh, lead Tony into this one because um, <laughs> uh, he now um, prepares people for marriage, uh, of yes, course, as yes. part of being a deacon. And there's one story he always starts with, which <laughs> embarrasses me no end, but he, he tells it every single time to the new couples. Yeah, yeah. And he says, oh, it's a great, it's a great, you know, starting icebreaker. point. A nice, yeah. Yeah, very nice icebreaker. Yeah. So off you go. Well, so we met through a family connection. Yeah. And uh, we'd been going out for a bit over a year, and I thought she's the one for me. Mm. And uh, little did I know that even months before that, she told one of her sisters, like, you know, if he proposes, I'll say yes. Oh, wow. So I did. She was working in Canberra, and I was in Sydney, and we met and had lunch one day down at the rocks, and that was going to be my time to propose. And yeah. I don't know, maybe I just didn't get the courage up, but I didn't propose at lunch, and, yeah. I, and I thought, okay, I've got to think of something else. So. Let's go for a drive. So we drove up to uh, the domain and and we started walking from, you know, up the, the, the gardens area there mm. all the way down Martin Place, right down to the bottom of Martin Place. And there's this place just across on George Street called Regimental Square. It's really bland mm. seats and stuff. And I blurted out something, you know, I want you to spend the rest of my life my life with you. And literally, I know by this time her heels were bleeding from her <laughs> not having walking shoes on no. and, and all sorts of stuff. And, and she said... I'll think about it. <laughs> and then went back to Canberra in the days before mobile phones, living in the oh, back of someone else's house. Wow. So I couldn't even ring her up and say, oh, you thought about that? And oh, wow. So I get down there three weeks later and she says, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so when I preparing couples, I say, now tell me about your proposal. Yeah. And, and then they say, and, uh, you know, some people have been in Paris, some people have been yeah. by the river. And, and I say, I said, did you accept straight away? And they say, oh, yeah. yeah. I said, well, let me tell you my story. <laughs> so, again, it's a good icebreaker. But That's <laughs> a great story. Yeah. What was going on through your mind when that was actually happening in it? <laughs> well, I mean, can I just say, we've been married this year 35 years. Oh, yes, so, yes, I'm, yes. in my own defence, once I make a decision, it's mm, made. Mm. You know, that, there's no turning back. So, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, marriage is a is a huge step. You know, we can't we can't downplay that. Mm. Um, we hadn't really discussed marriage, I don't think, much before that. Mm. So it really mm. was. It did sort of come, even though I had said I'd say yes if he asked mm. me. I think when it when it's real and it's in front of you, it's it's a huge it's a huge step to make. And um, 
yeah, made the right decision, of that's course. It, that's <laughs> it. And so, thirty-five years down the track, what's some what's some of the the tips that you share for uh, couples preparing to be married? Any any um, suggestions or, or pieces of advice? When I prepare couples for marriage, uh, I think their family of origin is an important factor. Yeah, right. And for example, like I, I shared with couples, like. Um, different ways of dealing with conflict so mm. for example my mother had a different way of dealing with conflict to Annette's mother mm. so my mother was very direct she told my father you know no mm-hmm. no uncertain terms whereas Annette's mum was more pacifist I guess and mm-hmm. probably didn't really want to argue about things and so we had to bring those two things into our marriage and mm. for a while I found you know wasn't trying to start fights but I found Annette wouldn't kind of really engage in the debate mm. and she had to find her own way of dealing with conflict and we had to find our own couple way of dealing yeah, with conflict. Yeah. And um, and we, we did. Uh, and now she has no hesitation to tell me when I'm <laughs> off, off the tra- wrong, on the wrong track. But, and I, but I talked about this guy. So that's just one example here yeah. with conflict. But other co- it's um, like couples have said, like one couple, um, his family expected that every weekend he'd hang out with the family, you know, mm. his daughter family. And her family, well, we, we call each other for birthdays and Christmas. That's about it. So mm. they had to negotiate, you know, what's the right level of connection with the broader family? So all those sort of things come yeah. in. I say to couples, um, you know, you, the wedding stuff's easy, you know. It's mm. just a formula and when you say the right words. But my preparation of them aims to help them make sure they'll be married forever. Mm. So um, mm. if we have to have a few difficult conversations, let's have them now and look about those family origins and different approaches um, up front and trying to come up with your agreed response. Yeah. And we've had some really incredible, I mean, I find it, I find it a privilege that mm. me as a relative stranger who they've only yeah. met, you know, a month ago, they'll trust me to have those conversations with them and trust me to almost be a third independent party to say, have you looked at it this way, have you looked mm. that way? And I see that as probably one of the more important roles of a marriage minister is to prepare them well yeah. and deal with some of those issues up front. Yeah. And, um, and if there's any areas of uh, conflict, well, let's work through mm. what might be options. So yeah. it's not perfect, but I think you get, I, I help them to have a much better chance of a sustained relationship mm. um, <clears throat> by dealing with those things. That's it. And some great insight and wisdom there, I suppose, especially um, I, I wouldn't think of family of origin as a thing to, mm. you know, to, to bring up. But then that you say it, I do remember when we were a company, that did come up a lot as well. Yeah. In terms yeah. of those interpersonal dynamics. Um, yourself, Annette, any um, any uh, pearls of wisdom from your experience oh, that you'd yeah. like to share for couples? There's always communication. That's, mm. You know, that's there. Um, doing things together, mm. and we, inter- especially in terms of our ministry, mm-hmm. um, we we wanted to share ministry in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, once Tony became a deacon, he he approached me and asked if I wanted to help him with baptism preparations oh, yeah. and wasn't really up for that and he asked if I wanted to help with wedding preparations mm. and I wasn't really up for that either but and then he said well, well then we spoke about Binnie's and um, yeah. you know that's where our ministry coincided so having that shared ministry really uh, was helpful to our marriage I think mm. um, and I think that's important for people you know I know what we're talking about today is not purely about diaconate yeah, yeah. but it is important for those couples discerning diaconate is that the wife isn't like the minister's wife who has to, you know, be fully on in whatever. Mm. It's a discerned thing and, and different wives have different skills. So, you know, when we talk a bit more about what we're doing at Marston Park, we're very much a team effort. Mm-hmm. But some deacons will, won't do any ministry with their wives because the wives really want to do their own 
mm-hmm. thing, and that's fine as well. So it's, it's got always got to be discerned. So the deacon clearly has a, a vocation mapped out for them yep. that uh, in a vocation of ordination that sits on top of their their vocation of marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very much a foundational for, for married deacons, but. The wives have to discern what role they'll play, and that'll be different for every, yeah, every yeah, wife. So yeah, yeah. that has to be discussed. And discussed. So there's that honouring of the individuals in the marriage and the mm. uh, diaconate, but also that, that way in which you come together in, yeah. in the ministry and vocation. I wonder then, um, perhaps I missed this point uh, earlier on in the podcast, but let's just say there's a new couple that wants to be you know, in the, the ministry of the married diaconate. Um, how do you describe to them what it is? Because I don't know if it's common knowledge or common language when people hear diaconate they may not know what to think of, especially in the Catholic context. So how do you break yeah. that down for new couples or let's just say some family friends come over and they're like, so what do you do? <laughs> well, you- well, just at basic level, some people listening may not be aware, you know, in a, in a Catholic church, we have bishops and priests and deacons as mm. the ordained clergy. And, um, and deacons are generally the only rank of clergy that's open to married men. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few exceptions with people who come from other churches as ministers in other Christian churches, but essentially diaconate is the only rank of clergy open to married men. Mm-hmm. And so um, most of our deacons in our Catholic Church, uh, permanent deacons, I know people, some people have a problem with that term because all deacons are a deacon for life, mm-hmm. but what we would call um, deacons who aren't going on to priesthood. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of them are married. So, um, yeah, deacons are ordained for minister at the altar, ministry of liturgy, ministry of service. And um, so it's a quite a varied role. Uh, a lot of deacons, because they still work full time, mm. uh, do their parish ministry or their diocesan ministries at night times or on weekends. Yeah, right. Um, there's a few of us in a rare position of being full time in, in a parish setting. Mm. Um so yeah, deacons uh, are called to assistant mass. Uh, they preach uh, by permission of the presider. Mm-hmm. Um, they do baptisms, weddings, funerals, do blessings. Mm. Um, but outside of that, they, they're often called to do a lot of different chaplaincy roles. Yep. So hospitals, police, disaster recoveries, mm-hmm. um, prisons, a whole range of areas. So there's, there's a wide variety of ministries that deacons can be involved in. Mm-hmm. So it's a very rich one, I think, you know, was because your average parish priest is almost tied to the boundaries of the parish because, yeah. you know, there's so much to do. But deacons have a little bit more latitude, I guess, to do other things. Yeah. So that's, that's a, a, I guess, a great opportunity for deacons to do so many different ministries. But, yeah, so it's a, there's, there's a, a theology degree needs to be obtained. Mm. Um, in our diocese, we can, the guys can do three quarters of that before ordination and then carry on and finish it okay. after ordination. Because when you're working with a family, doing theology studies and the other, the other, the other formation, <laughs> it's quite a ask. Yep. You, you can't you can't let marriage and family suffer because of the formation. Mm. So you always got to um, be gent- gentle how you kind of craft out the formation program. So I've been director of formation for some years now, and so it's always a balancing act for the yep. guys to. If, if things are going in the workplace or at home, back off the studies and mm. just kind of there's no race to the finish line. It's mm-hmm. just like make sure your number one vocations yeah. don't don't suffer. That's it. That's yeah. a good way to put it. And yourself, Annette, I'm sure you'd get a lot of questions from the deacons' wives being asked, you know, what's yeah, it like? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. Um, I'll just share, um, as we said, we'd been away from the church and we'd come back to the church and mm. um, Tony had mentioned to me on a number of occasions diaconate and I didn't have a clue what a deacon was. Or mm. I'd never come across one. 
and he was mentioning, oh, he wanted to look into the, the diaconate. And I thought, yeah, yeah, sure, that's okay. You mm-hmm. know, I was busy with three kids and working and all the rest, and you go and do whatever you want to do, that's fine. <laughs> then, of course, to my surprise, of course, a few weeks later, he, and he came to me and he said, oh, our first diaconate meeting is on Saturday. And I went, you know, hold the phone, what's <laughs> yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what have I got to do with this kind yeah. of thing? So, um, so I went along and started took me a long time to be comfortable with the diaconate, I have to say, as a, as a wife. Probably took me a year of, you know, really discerning for myself that it was where I I was meant to be. Mm. I had a spiritual advisor at that time and I, I was often complaining to her, but I don't feel like I made this decision mm. for me. Mm. You know, I feel like Tony was called, but I don't feel I had a calling to this vocation. Mm. And she must have got sick of me just <laughs> whinging about this all the time. So she said... For goodness sake, Annette, just decide. Mm. Go away, pray, decide yes or decide no. Mm. Of course, once I then decided yes, everything was went smoothly and yeah. was you know was easy after that. Yeah, that's the thing to mention is it's is important because uh, a guy can't be ordained, married men can't be ordained as a deacon without the wife's written permission. Yeah, right. And. Um, so she holds all the cards. So she had said at any stage, no, it's all bets off. That's it. And that's why discernment, when our, when our vocations team for the diaconate are working with couples, uh, it's very important that the wives mm. are involved. Uh, if the guy turns up for several meetings and the wife's not there, that's a big alarm bell that yeah. maybe the wife's not on board. Now, the wife doesn't have to come to all that formation. We encourage yeah. them to. But if they're not really supportive, um, that's a big red flag that mm. maybe this is not going to work. And right. Maybe let's defer it until we can see that the wife is supportive. Yeah, so there's a mutuality in the decision. Very much so, yeah. When we started our formation in the Parramatta Diocese, um, there hadn't been uh, deacons formed for at least 10 years before we we started. So we started with two other couples. So we had no, um, what I might call, voices of experience Mm. to to help us on the journey, especially as wives. Um, So after or even before we were ordained, um, as a wife, I committed to con- continuing and encouraging other wives mm. and being there uh, as much as I could just to be that sounding board for the wives coming in just so mm. that they would have at least some sort of voice of experience. So I've been involved with the formation, you know, right right from when we started, even after ordination, I continue to go every month just to be there for the, yeah. you know, for the wives, because that's, I feel that's an important aspect of, of their discernment for the vocation. And so I'm just recognizing that the doubling of a pattern that you've not only pioneered this community, there's also the the diaconate that you pioneered in the diocese as well. Yeah, we were, uh, we were a part of our cohort. was very much of a new approach to yeah. diaconate and um, with the wives being very strongly encouraged to be part of it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the pendulum swings before it was they don't need to be involved in all and it swung a little while later to if the, they're not involved at every formation meeting, you know, mm. that's you know too bad, you can't keep going. I think that swung too far. So yep. we now kind of swung it back to the middle, I think, where... Wives are really encouraged to be part of everything, mm. um, but it's not mandatory. Yeah, because yep. you know we've had guys go through whose wives are studying and working and yeah. got families, and yep. you know to impose 
turning up at every formation session would be too much. But mm-hmm. we always check in and make sure they're still supportive and on board with what, what their husband's doing, which they are. So mm. that's got always a balancing act. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Great approach it's sounding like now. Invitation, very much invitational, yeah. encouraging, yeah. yeah. And now, I suppose, a, a um, not the final question, but uh, one that focuses on both your um, marriage and your diaconate. How would you say that both vocations has blessed the other? So how has your marriage blessed your your diaconate, um, giving you insights for that, and vice versa. How has the diaconate ministry um, sort of blessed your your marriage vocation and, and given you lessons for that? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, the two have got to go together. You can't mm. separate them. And um, for us, you know, uh, our married life and our ministry are so much intertwined. Mm. So coming to Marston Park... Um, at the stage of life where our kids were adults mm-hmm. and we could kind of kick them out of home and sell the house and move out here. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, uh, and they, they've kind of gravitated to be <laughs> back close to us, which is, it was, a, it was a nice thing. And they're all involved in the community here. It means is, they love you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so it's nice. And they're all, we're blessed that they're all, all three are involved in the church, yeah, which yeah. is great. And do ministry at Master Park where we are, which is really nice. Mm. Um, but we're in a stage of life where it was right for us to mm. do something together. And we had to discern that call. Yep. Um, and it's a new kind of role with a deacon and his wife uh, leading a community rather than a, a celibate priest. So, mm. uh, but bringing, of course, priests in for mass and other sacraments. Mm. But um, so it's it's kind of our life now. Yeah. Uh, you know, five five years down the track. Mm. Um, it's um, just the way we operate. And mm. um, and whereas we, we used to do a little bit of Vinny stuff together, mm-hmm. um now it's you know the whole life is kind of consumed by this, mm-hmm. and even when we have our breaks, you know we're still invariably talking. Have you done the powerpoints yeah, this week? Or yeah, how's yeah, the bulletin yeah. looking? And yeah, well, that means you're immersed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's um, I don't think we keep doing it if it wasn't uh, an enriching thing for mm. us. When I did my was doing my theology studies, and that was doing some studies with mm. the Institute for Pastoral Mission at the mm. time, and um, did some beginning theology. But mm. the good thing about that was it gave us a common language. Mm-hmm. So when we we're out for our walks, we could talk about these theological things, and yeah. uh, we didn't always agree, um, not by any means. But we had it was a common language. To yeah. have. and I think that's carried through now that you know, the, you know it's about you know what's going on this weekend mm. and what's how's our planning going for second meal programs, all that sort of stuff. Is mm. that was very much a joint thing. So it's blessed in that that. Um, Faith and ministry is important to both of us individually, so mm-hmm. it's important to us as a as a couple. Yeah, and so it's blessed our marriage. Uh, and I find that a beautiful thing about the diaconate is, invariably every year when we check in with the couples, we ask the guy and the wife, is formation enhancing or impeding uh, or yes. an impact, uh, positive or negative impact on your marriage? And invariably, it's yeah, it's positive. Yeah, no, that's great. Because um, it it it's they're growing in faith together. Yeah. And how about for yourself, Annette? How, how have you seen that interconnection play out? Yeah, well, just um, in terms of our decision to come out here to Marsden Park, mm. uh, it was a big, was a big decision, um, selling our house and, as Tony says, kicking the kids out of home. <laughs> um, and I remember on the, it was the day that we were to move um, after selling the house, packing up, we went to a cafe just to, to have some lunch and we were sitting there and, and saying, I remember saying, we were saying to each other, are we crazy? What, <laughs> the, heck, what the heck are we doing? <laughs> we're going out, what, five years ago, this yep. this suburb was pretty much a, just just dust and, yeah. and, you know, was was nothing here. 
and it was like, you know, there's nothing. We've got no church. We've got how are we going to have mass? Mm. Well, you know, what are we going to do for vestments and vessels and mm. basic needs for church? And this is no lie. Mm. We were sitting there having lunch. Tony's mobile phone rang. Mm. And it was the executor for the will of uh, Father Brian Rooney, who mm. had just passed away. Mm. And the executor said, you know, um, there's all these things have been left in the will, the vessels, the vestments. And My I was goodness. And I was wondering if you would like them for your new community at Marston Park. Really? We just looked at each other and went, okay, God's in this. Yeah. We, mm-hmm. You know, we're yeah. right, we're going. Oh, <laughs> that's such it's another, just, that's another powerful story. Yeah. One of those yeah. moments that was like, yeah. When you make the ask, eh? They say, yeah, I know. <laughs> Absolutely. The it's things not, that happen yeah. when you say yes, mm. that, that's all I can mm. say about that. It's not, a, not a coincidence. It's yeah. a, a God incident. God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. Now, I want to draw this conversation to a close, and I've really enjoyed, you know, sharing this time with, with both of you. This one, we usually phrase it as a, a question along the lines of, you know, how would you welcome a newcomer? But, you know, over the years, I have heard some great things um, happening out of this parochial district in terms of how you you try and uh, be as hospitable to newcomers. So perhaps a little tweak. What's the latest thing that you've tried as a strategy to welcome newcomers into this faith community? Oh, one of the things we did last year, and again, the caveat on all this is the best ideas we've had haven't been from Annette and I, they've mm. been from our community. Mm. And if anything we can take credit for is, is, is listening to the community, yeah, listening to our initial advisory group. We've now got a leadership team. We've got a pastoral council, but and at every pastoral council we have this vox pop where it's like, okay, what have you heard from the community mm. that's working? What's not working? What do we need to take on board? So we've, we've our best ideas have come from the community. Mm. Last year we did a um, a smile drive. Okay. So I was inviting, and again, idea from the pastoral council members. Um, <laughs> let's invite a family to be at the front desk, and as uh, they just take one week in a year, and they'll just be the welcoming family for that mass uh that that weekend mm. so families said like oh, okay it's, it's our son's birthday so we're going to celebrate by being the welcoming family on that day wow so that's that's one of the more recent things we've done we did that last year and we've kind of we're now looking at what comes after that we do have a welcome ministry so every mass there's mm. welcomers at the front to mm-hmm. welcome people and uh and get new community member forms they fill in after mass so we get people in our database and can communicate with them from day one we were encouraged to make a big deal of the kids because we have like you know 60 plus children in children's liturgy on the the week sunday a a woman said to me sometimes i take my child up at uh, for communion and i seek a blessing and i don't get a blessing Mm. and i and he feels upset and so I thought, okay, I know there's some challenges with lay ministers doing that. So I thought, mm. okay, well, how, what can we do? And so we invited the children up at the end of Mass to mm. do a special blessing so no one was missed out. And then I thought, well, you know, we've got the kids there. Let's make a bit of fun of it and, you know, have a bit of fun with them. And so I'd, I'd ask them a few questions, oh, you know, yes. what did you learn in children's liturgy? I've and then we'd that. get all sorts of stuff. And yeah. then even if children's liturgy on, what's the news? So we get, oh, my sister's having a birthday. Oh. Or, I did this. Or, <laughs> I'm going to the zoo with my friends or whatever. That's great. And, yeah. um, I think the kids love it, but the parents love it because their children are being made to feel special. So um, mm. that's one of the things we've done from early days. Yeah. And again, it was an idea that came from the community, not not from us. Mm. And yourself, Annette, what's an idea that comes oh, to mind? That's um, I was just going to follow on from that that comment Tony made about you know getting the kids up. I mean, they say you should never work with children or animals, don't they? <laughs> you, you, you don't know what's going to come out of the mouths uh, of these children. One one little boy, one week. 
he announced to the whole community, my mum's pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Oh, no. <laughs> what do you do with that? How was the mum? What was her reaction? Oh, she was fine. But, uh, we, we didn't know. I didn't know that she was ready for the world to know that she was pregnant. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah, so uh, funny, yeah it's kind of, it's funny, but it's... Uh, Ultimately, it's you know it's, it's enriching for the kids and it's enriching for their parents. So, like you know, when we first started, we encouraged the kids to come up mm. and they gradually come up. Now, now I don't even have to announce; they're already <laughs> bolting up straight after communion. So you built the culture. They know they yeah. they know what happened. So yeah, yeah. And it's uh, and and it's really nice with children's liturgy. You know, and some of the really articulate responses you get. Mm. Um, you know, almost uh, many th- theologians. Some of these mm. kids when they come out with mm. so it's. Uh, quite refreshing to hear what they're picking yeah. up uh, yeah so yeah no, that's good that's beautiful well what can i say thank you so much annette and tony for this time i really enjoyed this conversation and i hope you enjoyed it as well yeah thanks, thanks very Donnie. much Donnie. it's been great thank you thank you we hope you've enjoyed this episode of soul food don't forget to like and follow us on spotify or on your preferred listening platform this podcast is produced by the mission enhancement team in the diocese of Parramatta. We release a new episode each week and we'd love to hear from you. So leave a comment or reach out via our contacts in the show notes. Looking forward to sharing another story with you next time on the Soul Food Podcast.